All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. It is another episode, and I am back with Dave Katz, who just got back from soccer practice. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Mikey Dobbs? I am doing excellent. It's been uh, it's been a minute since we've done one of these podcasts, so no real agenda this evening, other than to get some content out there for the listeners and vent a little bit about you know probably the last time we did a podcast. I was looking on the site was early September. Uh, I think the ninth. Yikes! The ninth. So we're we're letting our listeners down a little bit, but so has the team. So we're just on par. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Uh, flying without an agenda. Flying know, without crazy an agenda. talk. Speaking of having no agenda, maybe we just start in reverse order and and begin with the game that happened on Sunday and talk a Toronto. little. Yeah, the Toronto game. Who you know is leading. The division, they're leading the points for the supporter shield, which evidently they decided to get rid of randomly. Makes no sense. So a tough team. Well, I think I think the argument on the supporter shield is that so because of COVID, they've gone to um, uh, like regional play, which is why we're playing Inter Miami so often, um, which has been good for us in terms of we've played a crap schedule. But um, I think because of that, it's not remotely fair it's been mls has never been a truly balanced schedule but it has been really unbalanced yeah except you know the supporter shield is just for you know somebody to get a little more recognition for getting getting some points it's not the mls cup what's the harm in giving it to a team is the way i look at it you know fair fair Uh, we could make our own mikey dobbs yeah it's a great idea (laughs) the atl (laughs) on fire cup but yeah it was not like a lot of the games, just so many questions with this team, with the even the interim coach choice, which you questioned right out of the gates. You know, I think there was better decisions to be made. If you're going to, I don't know, why not? If you're going to go with the idea of putting your best players on the field at halftime, which was the choice he made by putting Barco and Moreno on the field, I don't understand. Why not just do that from the get-go? Why try to have that be a uncomfortable move midway through the game. I always say put your well, be- best players in the field, but I, I felt like well, the whole rhythm was wrong. Well, you know, there is an argument to be made that, okay, so so Barco in particular, after that kind of layoff, was very unlikely to go 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever you have a player who's not going 90 minutes, the typical coaching move is to bring them on. Um and the reason for that is because if you go have a player who can't go 90 minutes and you start them, then you absolutely have to use a sub to get them off, right? And 
so normally um, that could end up being a problem, you know, if you use that sub and things go happen and you need the extra sub. So you bring them on as opposed to starting them and bringing them off after, you know, 45 minutes or something. I have always sort of objected to that and that I think, you know, sometimes it's worth a little bit of that risk. But in particular now, with the number of subs that we're allowed to have because of COVID, there's really no reason not to start a player. You have plenty of subs to bring them off. So that's one thing. But the other thing is you would say, okay, well, if Barco and Moreno can't go 90, you know, they're similar kind of players. Wouldn't you want to have one of them on the field at, at, at all times and have one of them replace the other? Yeah. And that was my thinking. If I would have done it, I would have put Moreno on. Um, they certainly tested that theory in his first minutes in the club, and he seemed to perform very well under, you know, having no experience with his, his teammates and the league and just jumped in and played fine. So why not start Moreno? and give him 60 minutes or so, and then bring in Barco. That's, that would have made the most logical sense to get your best players on the field and not try to, you know, when you do that at halftime, you're kind of setting the expectation that you've got to completely change the way you were playing in the first half, which was just to kind of get by and, and not get scored on, which was successful. But then it put kind of all the pressure on those two and uh, everybody else in the field to try to, kind of flip the script and you can kind of tell they were they were playing playing more aggressive we were obviously in their half more you know with with those two players in the field but you know it, it certainly didn't result in a lot of quality well you know there was a sudden manic kind of rush up the field I mean I, I so first of all I should say I completely agree with you that's what I would have done um, I would have played Moreno from the start and bring on Barco but when they both came on it created this manic rush that okay now it's time to go forward you never want a team thinking that there's a certain part of the game where we're sort of not necessarily trying to score. And then later there's a time when we're trying to score. And it, it was weird. You could clearly tell that everybody knew it was coming. And there was suddenly like a switch, like, okay, now we can go to try to win the game, which is a very odd way to do it. But I think even more importantly than that, than the fact that it was this weird psychology is that, as a coach, one of the things you have to realize is that just putting on attacking players does not create attacking soccer. And a team will never attack well unless there's a certain amount of balance, right? You need players to get the ball to uh, Moreno and Barco in the right spots, right? And if they're both trying to do the certain thing and there was nobody to get them the ball anymore, you, you lose the balance and suddenly you're not going to have any attack. Yeah. And, and overall, I just felt like, the, yeah, I mean, there was not a, a lot of quality chances as with the last five or six games we've had. There's just not been a, a lot of volume in terms of shots, certainly way low on anything that's of, of quality. You know, I, I think George Bellow, as a lot of people have given him praise, looks good up, up high in the field, yet – I don't know if that can make up for some of the issues I see when the other team is countering and even when he's in a position to to get back, doesn't have kind of the wherewithal to realize who's around him, how to turn his hips, how to read where to be in in that position when he needs to be back. 
or just not getting back at all. But even when he is back, he's made the run back. It's a, like a lack of awareness of who the two or three players are behind behind and where, who he needs to pick up. I, I find it yeah, amazing I think, every time I, think, I watch the tape. I think that's called sensing the danger, right? You know, certain players, you know, have an instinct for it and some players don't, and it can be taught some, yeah. you know, but Bello has a tendency to get back for getting back sake. Um, he runs into the box for the sake of getting in the box. He'll, I have seen now four, five, six, eight times, whatever, where he'll run right by an open mark yep. in order to stand next to one of our defenders. And he's back, but he's not marking the yeah. danger. He's not sensing it's, the danger at all. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, yeah, that's like his mission accomplished, like the way he was taught is like, yeah, get back. And when he is able to get back, it's not turning your hips or as you're coming back, really, like you said, getting a sense of – how the players are going to shift to to try to get themselves open for that cross, and inevitably it comes in, and we you know we're in a bad way. Um, and you would appreciate this, Mikey Dobbs. You know that's what happens when a forward gets back, right? A forward gets back, they think their job is just to get back, right? Whereas a true defensive player knows that getting back does you no good unless you sense the danger and are first to react to the ball. Well, I wouldn't know that because actually when I was a decent soccer player, I was more defensive. So, <laughs> um, Rumor has it. but uh, Yeah, rumor has it, but there's no proof of you that. You know, one of the things that was interesting, so in the opening moments of this last game against Toronto, you know, Jurgen Dom like two or three times broke down his guy and got to the end line, right? And he was in a very dangerous position, right? And all two or three times, whatever it was, Toronto – the defenders in Toronto showed a beautiful example of how to sense the danger. So Gallagher one time faked like he was going to make the hard run and stayed at the top of the box. And the defender, I don't know whether it was Gonzalez or the other one, never bought it, right? He stayed right glued to Gallagher, right? And if you contrast that, even in uh, the first half when we didn't give up a goal, one time they got to the end line and it was uh, Miles Robinson and Meza who were trying to mark. And I think it was Pizarro or Poeta, like one of their, their quality players did the exact same thing. He stopped his run at the top of the box and both of them continued into the six yard box. Yep. Oh, and he yeah. ended up with a wide open shot. He hit it right, uh, right at Guzan, but Oh, that, that whole play was uh, – there was lack of awareness all over the place in the, in the defensive side of the it – was, it was awful. And the bottom line is that they were just ball watching, and I think yeah. that's the, the nature of Bello too. He has a tendency when he gets in the box to watch the ball instead of watching the open player and sensing the danger and trying to beat his guy to the ball. Yeah, and the commentators during the Toronto game were kind of praising Jurgen Dom for his defense and – I didn't really see it. I, I I saw some kind of shaky moments across the board for him in terms of uh, the, I guess also just like him giving the ball up in, in bad spots kind of in the, the center part of the park, uh, but also just not being in great defensive shape when we needed it. So I was a little confused with their commentary there. He, I mean, he certainly had a couple of good moments getting back and breaking up some plays, but uh, he oh. was getting back, and you got to like the work rate. Um, yeah. But he is clearly not a player who's built to defend. I mean, he's a, clearly a player who's designed to attack. And if you're going to play him, 
um, in front, you know, you just have to, to realize that, you know, and in fairness, you know, I think that they, they did realize that, you know, walks was sitting back the entire time. He never went forward um, out wide. And so there was a guy behind him protecting Dom the entire time. I but that. I think also walks, you know, again, you know, pretty good one-on-one kind of play, but he doesn't read the game well. I'm curious if you agree with me on this. I actually thought this this player had one of the best games I've seen him play, which was uh, Mo Adams. He was he was awfully speedy and and looked dangerous, kind of taking the ball, you know, out of our half of the field and, and moving it forward. And also played really well defensively. I felt like he got into some really good tackles and and played well. Uh, you know, one of the problems I've had with the management, you know, on the general manager side is that we've brought in players and it's not necessarily clear what their role is on the team. And I felt that a little bit that way about Mo Adams, right? Was he brought in to be a true defensive midfielder? Was he brought in to be a box-to-box midfielder? Was he brought in to be just a utility guy and play, you know, wherever we need him? Right. Um, I have felt usually when he is really most defined as a defensive midfielder and has a role, he, he he's pretty talented, right? He can do some things. And, and I agree with you, actually, that I thought he looked terrific in the game because he actually had a role. Right. Yeah. And it, remind me, Remedy was in that game because he got injured, right? And then we had to sub him out. Uh, he, he didn't get injured. He just got subbed. He just I got think. subbed. Okay. And that was the sub where we took – when was that? that? So we – Torres and somebody else came in. Yeah, as, as a, Torres came on, as a, um, and also Rosetto. And Rosetto, yeah. And then at, at at halftime, it was the two DPs, Barco and Moreno. And then and they came on for for Mulraney and for Jurgen Dam, right? The wide, no, Jurgen Dam stayed on. He Heinemann. came off after a little. Heinemann, right. yeah. But I don't know. Kubo Torres is another player that's just done nothing for me. You know, Kubo Torres at this point could be a finisher. You know, I've seen him he, have some finishing moments the last five games, and he hasn't gotten it done. Yeah, I well, mean, I mean, got to have a nose for goal um, at some point when you get chances. And I just, you know, stats are what you need as a striker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think once upon a time he was a very quick player, but I think the the injuries over the year have years have really taken a toll on him. Yeah. Um, so, I think to be honest, a bright spot has been uh, Gallagher, right? Oh um, uh, yes, hundred percent. He he is aggressive and and looks like he can, you know. Um, How about that play when about five Toronto players are closing in on him and he nutmegs a guy and breaks through all of them? Uh, I mean, that was pretty. That was pretty awesome. And then he actually cut it back for a decent cross, considering it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he he brings a spark. And what I like, which is going forward and, and, and he's, he's got just commitment to go forward and try to try to put the other team on the back foot. And he's been doing that um, since he's gotten his opportunity on this team. Uh, So I love the way he's been playing. I mean, he's also young too. So there's a lot of upside with him getting these minutes and, you know, developing into somebody we can rotate in. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think the one, again, another criticism could be that some of the players that we have bought, you know, are similar players. So Zetto, Gallagher, I'm, um, I'm, you know, they're, 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 
maybe they're not as similar as we think, but because they don't necessarily have defined roles, they seem awfully similar. They don't seem to be, I think the defined roles on this team are not clear at all. You know, yeah, I mean, one I... thing I think if you go back to the Tata era, you know, people say, oh, we had more talent, you know, and, and that's probably true, but the the roles of the players were very well defined. People knew, you know, right. Al Marone, you know, was there to carry the ball through the middle and he wasn't necessarily going to be a defender. And so Remedy was sitting behind him, defending for him kind of thing. You know, they're, 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 the roles were very well defined. Yeah. And I, I think that's clearly a major issue with this team right now. It's just this kind of constant rotation of just giving something else a try. Almost, it's like a player tryout out there the last you know yeah. six or seven games, and whether it's you know giving Wolf some minutes and and Gallagher seems to be uh, you know succeeding with his minutes and getting more time and um, mm-hmm. you know it, is it Jurgen Dom is it Lennon is it um, out on the left was it Mulraney and and maybe somebody else you know it just seems like there's no consistency there's no directive on you know particularly in the center of the park who's who's got the directive to you know move it up the field with commitment i mean that's the other thing like my goodness like i get it the way that they are playing out of the back with toronto doing their press right trying to open them up but there was times that it, when you know guzan would play it even guzan was was a little slow in his commitment to moving it as fast as he could have there's just a, a half second too late in all the decision making when we're playing it out of the back to move like when you have that window you have to commit to it and move it fast and we just were not doing it it was like and and it was amazing when Moreno came on and I just remember the moment when somebody played it out wide and they could have just almost you know played a simple square pass forward to Moreno and they chose to go back again and he's like, why in the world? It was That was like the simplest pass in the world just to hit it into the center of the field to me, but you were just so trained to be timid and you could just see that. And, and I can see that being an issue with him moving forward if the team doesn't play to his strengths, which is get the damn ball to your designated player's feet when he's ma- you know, making himself available. Anyway, there's a little of my rant. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to roles, right? You know, I mean... The, the players who have had the most defined roles are the players who have played better. Like even, you know, I felt like Jurgen Dom, everybody knows, okay, he's a winger. His job is to break down the guy out wide, you know, and try to get crosses or, or to create things. Yeah. Right. And that's a very defined role. And he's played well because he's had that role, mm-hmm. but you know, look at a guy like remedy to me, remedy under Tata Martino was, you know, moving towards one of the better players in the league ever since he's been a disaster right and it's because you know suddenly with frank de boer he was you know supposed to be exchanging with nogby and and then now you know is he a defensive midfielder is he a boxer you know what's his role and i think you know under tata it was very clear your role is to sit in front of the back four protect that space go hawk the ball and you know play simple get the ball to the feet of an almiron get the ball to the feet of a you know the playmakers. Yeah. So we, we saw Barco back in the field after what, seven games or so of him not playing. And it's still not totally clear what his injury was. And the, 
everybody's talking about it being something they don't want to disclose because people will go after him. Like that doesn't make any sense to me at all. The only thing that would make sense to hold him out that long would be a soft tissue injury, right? Like a hamstring or something like that, where you don't want to rush a player back. But why, if it was a hamstring, then why not just say it was a hammy? So it, it would have to be a soft tissue injury in my book to play it the way that they have. And if that's the case, it's not like somebody's going to target a soft injury thing to be like, I'm going to, you know, give him a, 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 you know, a Charlie horse at the back of his leg because he's, you know, that's just, it's unrealistic the way that they've communicated. Well, let's, 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 let's call a spade a spade, right? Have you ever heard in any of your coach, your, your watching soccer years of any club being like, we don't want to tell you the injury because it may be targetable. Have you ever heard any no. club use that? No. Right. And we've had, you know, we're talking about, you know, we know people who have come back from torn ACLs where it's clearly targetable, you know, all these injuries or whatever. I've never heard of it. I think it you, would, you can only get away with that because it's not European soccer. You know I mean? The Atlanta United fan base um, should be up in arms, right? It's just unconscionable to, to not disclose what, what the matter is. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in the press have been pressing it for six weeks and, you know, haven't gotten anything concrete from the club and Bocanegra has come out and, you know, played the role of saying it's nothing. It's an injury. Everybody's overhyping it. He's fine with the club, but it was clear in my mind, like if I'm a betting man, they were trying to make sure that he was healthy in case there was any sort of takers during the window, the European window. I don't know. That's my theory. Why else would Could you be, be doing that? I mean, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and that's the problem, right? Because if, if that's not true, then they've done it in a way that we can all believe that that is true, which is a problem. Yeah. Right. You've got to have transparency to the fan base by that. I mean, I actually go back to why we as a fan base, why is it acceptable to sack the coach after two games? I mean, they had the, the MLS's back tournament, but yeah. there were only two um, games prior to that. And they sacked the coach with no plan whatsoever to replace the coach for an entire year. And you cannot tell the fan base that you're serious about winning when you are clearly perfectly okay with going with an interim coach for three quarters of a season or more. So I now have a new conspiracy theory about that, which is during or before the MLS Cup tournament, DeBoer was mm -hmm. back in Holland because mm -hmm. of some family personal issues, evidently, which was disclosed yep. before the MLS back tournament. If you haven't seen the news, DeBoer has now been appointed the Dutch national team coach with, uh, what's his name, going to the Barcelona. I think uh, that was the... Komen. Uh, Komen was the national team coach prior, correct? So there was obviously a lot of movement, and I'm sure discussions had to have happened with him while he was back in Holland about that position, whether it was confirmed and or an opportunity that was now peeking its head. So this whole idea of it being a mutual decision, at least between DeBoer and Atlanta United seems to have a hell of a lot more validity in my mind than him just being sacked. So you think, I mean, it sounds like, and I actually 
I hadn't heard that theory, but now that you say it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it actually sounds like it was that he quit yeah. rather than uh, rather than was select at all, that they wanted to keep him. And the reason why they have absolutely no plan is because they had absolutely no plan for him to leave. There's my theory, which I, uh, I did not come up with that until like a week ago or so. Um, it just kind of dawned on me. I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm probably I right. Think you're, I think you're right. Um, so the, But then the question still becomes, why are you not – I mean, I'm not saying you have to go and tell the fan base that, right? You know, uh, okay, we don't have to admit that, right? But why not say to the fan base to tell them square about where our search is at, right? Like, yes, we are undergoing a search. No, we're waiting till the off season. There's been no communication whatsoever. And, and, I, and honestly, to me, it smacks of truly taking the fan base for granted, right? That, that they think, look, we have this, you know, we're this, you know, Atlanta fans and we're super into it and we're going to be into it no matter what, but we're, you know, eh, not knowledgeable enough. You know, if you have a normal fan base from a huge club that's drawing 70,000 a game, a Barcelona, you know, Manchester United, whatever, you know that you're going to have to say things, right? You can't hide anything. They feel like they have that fan base, but it's not a genuine passion fan base. So they don't have to tell people. And I think it's totally um, condescending towards the fan base. Like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, the radio silence with, with everything that in the, in the way they've treated the Barco thing as well is starting to just to, clearly rub people the wrong way with their transparency yeah. and yeah, to your point, taking things for granted. So we've, we've talked about the Toronto game. Anything else you want to highlight from the most recent game? No, I mean, I think, um, you know, once again, maybe, you know, glass promised, you know, attacking football. And I think he meant that, that, you know, I don't know, we'll tell people where they can go forward more or whatever. They did that in the first few games. It was a catastrophic mistake because just telling people they could go forward does not mean you have more offense. Um, he has now clearly responded by reining it in, right, so that we're not so catastrophically open in the back or whatever. But the, the, the consequence for that is that we have no offense whatsoever. We didn't have any offense even when he was sending people forward but we don't have any offense now. And to me, again, how could you not understand that there's an intermediate, right? We don't have to just send everybody forward immediately. That's not going to produce. It's easy to defend. And we don't have to just be cautious and have everybody back. You can actually play some kind of system where people go forward at the right moment. But it doesn't seem like we have any clue about okay, these are the things that we have that we perceive as our strengths that we're going to try to take advantage yeah. of. And these are the moments that we're going to, you know, we're either going to have outside backs overlapping or not. We're going to have, you know, uh, midfielders in the center, you know, darting through and we'll have someone protecting or we're not, you know, what, but what, what is it? What is our strategy? Yeah. And I mean, like we have any, but now that we have a player that has the talent to potentially do that in the center of the park, uh, with a Moreno as a number 10, 
and we've only seen 105 minutes of him on the field, roughly, right? We got about 60 minutes of him in the, the first game he played and 45 uh, in the second. So I was certainly in the first game very impressed with his quality. You, you could tell, like, this is designated player material. He just he just has a, 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 a level up from everybody else in the field from what I'm seeing. Now – He's going to make the same mistakes that a PT did, which is trying to do too much, which ends up making you not play as well as you could if you stayed to your role. So it goes back to your point of glass or a coach, letting him clearly understand what the guidelines of or role are and how not to overplay himself because that will be his undoing as excited as he is to come and make an impact like PT wanted to, I mean, I always felt like that was not a problem of him. Like, you know, I felt like he had the right attitude in terms of caring, but his body language and other things let him down. But I think it was no lack of trying that if he doesn't get the right coaching here in a new league, in a team that's in major transition mode to, stick to these core principles and let everybody else play around you, then we're going to be in big trouble again. Yeah. No, I mean, I, just having a designated player with no plan is, is not going to do it. I mean, I don't care how good he is. I mean, Al Marone, as good as he was, and he was spectacular without a plan, you know, would have been not the player he was. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Any other thoughts on Moreno though that I just I talked a bit there about him? But well, I don't know. I mean, he was. I felt like he was really strong in the first game. Yeah. I thought that his forty-five minute cameo in this game was not so good. Yeah, I um, agree. He was on the ball a lot, but it, you know. But in fairness, you know, a player like that, or even a player like Al Marone, um, you know, they're going to look. You know, they can make plays happen when there are people running and, you know, and, and in, you know, moving into good spaces. It doesn't matter how good you are. If nobody's moving, you got nothing. Yeah. Right. And so there has to be a, a plan. You know, you'd love to see a Moreno playing with the speed of a guy like Dam down the side. Right. Because, you know, now he can spring him with the pass or even if he doesn't spring him with the pass, if Jurgen Dam makes that run and the defense has to react to it. Now Moreno has, it opens up and he can make decisions. Yeah. Right. Well, how about that one pass um, he did make to somebody he slotted it. Um, and I can't, I think that was the Toronto game where he played it into the right corner to somebody kind of running around the corner and he threaded the needle to, to him. It was just, you know, Oh uh, uh, yeah. Maybe it was, was it after, um, um, whatchamacallit came on, um, uh, Went back at. Uh, I don't remember, but yeah, whoever was on the right, the right side. It was after after Brooks Lennon came back on. Yeah. I think it was Brooks Lennon going. That sounds right. But I'm I'm looking at the schedule here, and since our last yeah. since our last podcast, which going into that podcast we tied Orlando one one, and we lost to Inter Miami two to one. On maybe the night that we did the podcast, we lost to Miami. Two to one, and since then we lost to Nashville four to two. We lost to Inter Miami again two to one. We beat Dallas. We lost to Chicago two nothing. 
we beat DC United for nothing, kind of our first uh, goal scoring game of the year. And mm-hmm. so, and then we barely we were super lucky to tie Orlando, in my opinion. We right. Lo- we lost to the Red Bulls. Yeah. We tied Inter Miami. <laughs> we instead of losing to them two to one, we tied one one. And then we lost to Toronto one zero. What an awful, awful run. I would have to say that, you know, I, I actually for a little while was keeping track um, and I haven't redone it for now, but the record is very, very similar to what glass had with the Atlanta United two. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very poor. And you know, a lot of those games, it had nothing to do with the fact that we are outmatched to your point. It was, it was a lack of, putting a team on there with a plan to win the game. We had, pl- we, we don't have the talent we used to have, but we had plenty of talent to win a large portion of those games by not making ridiculous mistakes in allowing goals scored for having focus right out of the gates and not getting, getting scored in the first two minutes of games. It's just really basic one-on-one stuff that you can instill in a team. If you have, have their, commitment and that they're following you yeah i mean you know we've had a little bit of um injuries but for the most part we've had you know miles robinson we've had escobar even Meza, right you know and and the defense should have been you know money i mean there's no doubt that that escobar Meza, robinson these are all first class mls defenders Right. Um, so you would say, look, if you have a system and you have either Lorenowitz or Remedy protecting those guys, yeah, maybe the team's not going to do whatever, but we should be a nightmare, right? Like we shouldn't be giving up hardly any goals, whatever. Maybe we have to play one nothing games. Maybe we have to play one one ties, zero zero ties, whatever it is. But the defense still hasn't looked good, and I think that's that you can't blame it on the talent. Yeah. So we're 11th in the table as it stands right now, one below yep. a scrappy playoff spot. Which, <laughs> <Scrappy>. <laughs> um, Tell us what you really think, Mikey Dobbs. Do you, do what, do you, you think, what do you think about 10 teams making the playoffs? Uh, like, <laughs> why not just, yeah, why not have March Madness? I don't know. It's, but all teams make the playoffs. All teams make the playoffs. Everybody gets a little trophy. Um, a trophy, yeah. So, what are your? What do you? Maybe th- we can give supporter shield trophies from ATL on fire to all of the teams. Love that idea. <laughs> do you think we'll make the playoffs? Do I think we make the playoffs? Even though everyone makes yeah. the playoffs, do you think we'll make the playoffs? No, and it's pathetic. Um, yeah. I think we're on the outside looking in, and even though we should be able to beat DC. Um, you know, and it's pretty – if you look at the games that you just went through, right, it's not like we've played all the teams in the top four in the league, right? We've played Nashville. We've played Inner. We've played Cincinnati. We've played a lot of mediocre yeah. teams. I'm going to I'm gonna throw a curveball to you. I think we actually will make the playoffs so long as Barco and Moreno continue playing. That's an awful lot of faith in our designated players coming back. 
It, it is, but the, the reason I say that is because watching the rest of the MLS and the teams that we are playing against, they are so awful. They're terrible teams that we play. The quality of soccer sometimes is just asking a lot. And there should be no reason that we can't go beat DC United for nothing again. Uh, <laughs> the way that they played against us, the, the way that I saw them play, and we didn't have Barco and Moreno. So with that in mind, I think with some more minutes, if Barco truly is healthy or now his mind is back now that he's not going to get transferred, whatever the situation was, then I think if there's a little bit of mojo that starts to meld between Barco, Moreno, and and some of the other players that hopefully will play more and more the next couple of games. I mean, if, if Glass keeps shifting people around, then no, we won't make the playoffs. But if we can get a little bit of a core going here the next two or three games, then I think we'll turn the tide. It won't shock me if we By do. the way, you know, you, what you just said about Barco made me think that, um, you know, if Barco really wasn't injured and he was just, um, you know, his head wasn't settled because they're, they're trying to keep him from getting injured. Um, why bring him on in the 45th minute? Once you decide you're going to play him again, don't you think he would have started? Right, which I, I think there has to be some validity to the injury. I don't think they would completely fabricate it. So I do think there was something to do with an injury. I, 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 I'd be hard-pressed so for, for, for Boca Negra to be so good at just kind of coming out with towing the company line and saying, you know, look, he was injured, even though the whole thing was just a cover up to try to keep him healthy for a European transfer. I think there was something, and that was his way of mentally saying there's an excuse for us to just be cautious with him in case something happens. I think that's what was going on. So you're saying he had a painful hangnail. Potentially. <laughs> yes. That's, that's a fair way to put it. But yeah, I think, you know, if it was just a hang now, then to your point, why didn't they just start him? If, yeah, if that's right. the truth, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. The truth is probably somewhere in between. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair. Uh, it goes to your, you know, you always having more faith in the players than, than I do. And I always have more faith in the coach. I feel like even with the good teams that are poorly coached, a uh, poor coach can make a good team look really poor. And I don't have any confidence in glass. Yeah. I, d- I don't either. Any, I, at all and i do think that it's it's a shame that i mean even from an interim standpoint going back to interim and appointing it you know let's say that you are correct and i love your idea that perhaps um deboer left us because you know he had the the dutch position and it was time to go if that's the case and atlanta united has to appoint an interim manager why did they ever appoint an interim manager with such a horrible record with Atlanta United too? Yeah. Um, I think it's very arrogant. All those folks out there. It was easy. It was easy. Say that, well, you know, it wasn't his job and he he had different roles or whatever. I think it's very arrogant to say that um, you're not what your record is. Yeah. I agree. What else do you want to talk about with this team at this point? Now that you don't think they're going to make the playoffs, uh, if 
We're not going to make the playoffs. What would you like to see from this team moving forward through through the rest of the season? Well, again, I you know um, stability. I mean, I, I I would so if regardless of whether we make the playoffs, I think Atlanta United needs to have a terrific off season, and a terrific off season starts with uh, appointing uh, a head coach very early not it dragging out and it might be this person and it might not be that person or whatever, right? Getting that person in, making real decisions on some of we've, – we've loaded up with a lot of these players who are – they're decent players, but they're not so good that they have a, uh, you know, a guaranteed role on our squad. And there's a danger in having a whole bunch of pretty good players. Right, because they're good enough where you can't be like you know, like when you're Breck Shea, who's a terrible player at this point in his career, you can say, Look, he's terrible, we gotta get rid of him. But you can't say that about a Mo Adams or a Brooks Lennon or whatever. They're not terrible players, they're good players, maybe even above average players. But there's a danger in having a bunch of good players and not having, you know, I don't know if you have to use the word stars, but players who have, you know, claimed the spot who clearly have a role. And we have a deep squad of pretty good players. And so what I think is we need a coach early and they need to go through and make decisions about those guys. I don't want to see all of the, uh, I'll list them all, like Walks, Mulraney, Brooks Lennon, Mo Adams, um, Castro, um, maybe even a Rosetto, right? Guys, Jean, um, Castro. Yeah. I mean, guys who, you know, some of them might be young and you might be like, look, you know, we, we're going to put our faith in a Brooks Lennon, or maybe we're going to say Mo Adams is our, our defensive midfielder and we're going to go with it, whatever. I'm okay with that. I think some of those guys deserve maybe to have a chance, but they have to be decisions and they can't all stay. Otherwise we just have a, a mishmash of, of, you know, yeah, you know, a mismatch in, in, in that mediocrity. same spirit, you know, I think Tata could have made Lennon succeed in a number of ways on this team, the same way he made Gressel thrive. He just, he had a plan for him and the, the plan for Lennon so far doesn't have the the new the one little nuance it needs is all I know is there's one little thing missing for him to take it just one level up because the guy gives everything he clearly has some quality at, at moments there's just there's just something missing to give him that next level of quality and confidence that he's still struggling to find and I yeah I mean I'm he, rooting you know, for, I'm people... rooting for him I just don't know how he's gonna find it some people, when he came here, people said, oh, you know, his crossing lacks quality. But th- I don't think that's true. He hits a pretty nice ball. Um, I made fun of him for his crossing early on, but I, there's been some really nice crosses I've seen in the last few games. I can't remember which, but he's played some really nice nice crosses. So, again, that comes with confidence and, again, the right putting him in the right position over and over again. I think, the an- you know, if you're going to keep him, I think the answer is that he has to become a right back. I don't think that he is clever enough to be a, a, a winger. Um, 
I think he is strong enough in the tackle. I think he needs to learn the defensive position. But he's a guy who is good enough all coming up through to be made into an attacking kind of star player. But at this level, he's not good enough to do that. So, But he is good enough to be very strong on the ball, to get forward, overlap, hit crosses. He's a classic, you know, you know, right back in a flat four, you know, that could be really strong if he would learn that. Yeah, I like that. It would be interesting to see him play right back, have Miles and maybe Meza in the center, I don't know, and then maybe even Escobar in the left, I don't know. Um, I don't know who would be back there if you're going to play, you know, four in the back. But I don't see Be- – Bello doesn't have the chops defensively to be a, a pure fullback, in my opinion. Um, a wing, wing I back. would probably play with Lennon at right back, and then I would probably play with Robinson and Escobar at the center back. I like that. Uh, I like that as well. But then who plays left back? Um, I think Bello can play the left back. No, thanks. Um, he just has to be taught how to defend. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to. Yeah, I mean, left backs are hard to come by, but I, I, he's got a long way to go when it comes to pure defensive. Just he's good one on one as a defender. I yeah. don't think there's that much. I think he just needs to be taught. I think if 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 you had a good coach, he could very quickly get up to speed. Okay, I would give him. I would give him a shot. That's for sure. I mean, he's got all the qualities to do it. I mean, he's um, he's young and he's you know he, he's. When, when I see him do it right, he does very well, gets a low center of gravity and, you know, can shepherd the ball out and use good, good common sense on things like that. But it's, it's more, what I see is his defensive problems is when he's away up the field and has an opportunity to get back and help, he gets it all wrong over and over and over again. Well, you know, the, the last play, a number of people, when, when we give up the goal in Toronto, a number of people are going to, you know, criticize him, you know, and say, all right, you know, he kind of got beat. Um, I, I wouldn't criticize him for that at all. I think one-on-one, he was very strong. He got a deflection off it. He was a little unlucky. He deflected it right onto, uh, onto the head of, of Pizarro or whatever. Um, but uh, um, not Pizarro, but. Uh, yeah, um, I, I agree. The commentators are kind of pointing at Bello on that play as it being him. If you watch the the shape of the other people in the center, in the in in the box, it was a disaster. Bello certainly well, could have put better pressure on him and, and all, but that wasn't the breakdown, in my opinion, on that play. But the other thing that was was tragic about that is Bello was way pinched into the middle, and so that ball was sent from the middle out to wide, and so instead of him being right closed down on that guy when the ball got there, he was coming out, and anytime you're running out and the guy's running at you, it is a much more difficult task. So his positioning, again, made his one-on-one defending. If he was already out there, or if he was close enough where he could have gotten right out there, he takes the ball right from him and we're no problem. Right. Yeah, and maybe that was no, And there's no need for it. Yeah. There was absolutely no need for him to be coming in and, you know, helping Miles Robinson. I mean, Miles Robinson didn't need any help. Yep. Agreed. Well, Dave, it's been a tough season for Atlanta United. We we may make it over that playoff bar. Uh, there's a game, what, this Saturday? Is it Saturday or Sunday against D.C.? Uh, I feel like it's Saturday. That sounds right to me. 
Do you know, is there um, any plan for any sort of attendance at Mercedes-Benz for home games? Are they going to test that at all, or is that uh, probably? Yeah, it's Saturday at 4, by the way. Yes, I think there there was a re- – was interesting. They announced a plan where they were going to bring back spectators in small numbers. They were going to start with the Falcons, I think. Right. You know, they asked – they pulled season ticket holders about – whether you would be comfortable coming back or you wanted to do that. But I don't know. They made it seem at the time like that was going to happen sooner rather than later, but it hasn't happened yet. And so I'm wondering whether they've backed off that a little bit. Yeah, I I haven't heard much. But uh, it's strange to see people in the stands at even college football games. It's kind of wild. But um, Well, you know, when we went to to Inter-Miami, they had fans in the stand. I did see um, that. It was, yeah. a, it was a much lower amount. So MLS has clearly okayed it. I think the rules that are still instigated into in Georgia about numbers, um, I think, are precluding it. Maybe you know gatherings. Florida has been a little bit more lax about that, so that might be the difference. So I, I also understand our tickets might be uh, inclusive of of more than just the seat if we're going to have that as an option that could be a mistake for uh for them letting me in there and, and having unlimited amounts of uh, of beer and wine but we'll see it depends on have you ever had the wine i've never had wine at the stadium i to be but fair here I, we are drinking wines yeah you know i go with the mexican lagers uh, at the game typically that's more my style yeah, I mean, it seems a little weird to be at the stadium drinking a wine. I mean, it's fine for sitting by the fire discussing Atlanta United, but I think at the stadium you have to have a beer. No doubt. If you were to appoint an Atlanta United coach with who's available right now, any thoughts on that? Has the pool, mm. has the pool changed at all, or is your guy from North Carolina, Courage, still – a great pick. I mean, he signed. He re-signed a new deal with the Courage, and the Courage have won all all their games as the season has started again. So he's continued to win. But that's Paul Riley for those out there. But um, you know, that was my dark horse, think outside the box kind of pick. You know, I mean, the dream that everybody wanted, Pochettino, is still available. It seems hard to imagine that Pochettino would come to Atlanta, but yeah. Um, if we're ambitious and we really want to do it, right? Like that's a guy. Yeah. You and, know, and, fluent and in Spanish, fluent in English, really can coach. And here's what I will say. So you and I always have this battle of players versus coaching. It uh, is it is clear that the top echelon coaches are so influential to a team's success. Lead Leeds United is a pure of example as I can get. When you have a crazy ass coach like Bielsa who has a lot of average players playing at a speed of fitness that is an absolute nightmare I mean it 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 tires me to watch the way that that team plays but it's almost like they know they're going to get a lashing if they if they don't go end to end and it's just they're always on right and so you've got a coach that has a team who is so committed to always be on and i think leeds united is such a great example of like wow how if you have a crazy coach like that that can get a team following 
a system and, and just a belief of, of this is how we're going to do it. Boy, it's, uh, it's something to see. I don't know. I, I, I mean, Leeds played the Wolves, my team, yesterday or Monday, and we got lucky by getting a, a, a goal late in that one. But, boy, I thought Leeds was going to win. Um, not to switch. Yeah, to- they have a style. I mean, th- that guy, you know, has had a lot of success over the years. Uh, I think he's Argentinian, right? Yeah. Um, they have a style, right? You know, and, and that that's important. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, w- I I'm I'm a big believer in in record. You know, like get coach who has a successful record, and I, I don't have the resources that Atlanta United has to look at all these different leagues, and particularly in South America, and see some of the, the records or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that to me, a, yeah. If you get get a great coach with a great record from you know one of these South American clubs, I I, I probably am going to be on board. I mean, have you seen Tata's record with uh, Mexico? I have not. How's he doing? I think they are twenty-one and two. Terrible. <laughs> oh yeah, I miss him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's. Um, it's I, crazy. I think that's the sad note we want to go out on. Salute to Tata. Good luck. I will say though, uh, you know. United States men's national team, the youth that's coming up is is exciting. Now that's all it is at this point is is exciting. Um, how they'll actually play is another story. But there's a yeah, lot. yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, Dest started uh, this weekend for Barcelona at left back. Yeah, I think Weston McKenney played some time for Juventus. Did Des, Des play started. today in that uh, in the Champions League game? In the Champions League, I didn't check. Actually, okay. to see. I, I saw Barso um, won like five one, but I didn't see if he played. They played a terrible side. Yeah. Um, but um, Gio Reyna starts at Dortmund. Um, Pulisic starts at Chelsea. I mean, they're not just starting; they're starting at big clubs. Yeah. I mean, you got um, so Pulisic is number ten at Chelsea. You got Des yeah. playing with the big brand Barcelona and Weston McKinney. What a great kid. I mean, these kids have their, their head together too, from the interviews that I've seen with them. It's very exciting. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the positive note that I wanted to end, end on since Atlanta United, I hopefully, and we should say Andrew Carlton has um, looked terrific in his USL stint. Right. He's playing in the USL and he's been, He's been really the star of their team, and it, and their team is at the top of the USL league, unlike our Atlanta United two. Yeah. So maybe it's time to recall him and, yeah. and give him a chance. Right. I mean, if you can do that and and figure out, yeah, what do you do with a uh, Joseto if he's not going to work out here, or uh, if it's a Castro, how, how they invest the right way? Um, that time for him to be away from Georgia and Atlanta and kind of have have a moment outside of his bubble might be good for him so yeah i, I mean up, yeah i mean I, carlton had so much promise from some moments out there in terms of he didn't lack confidence or ability a- again it was a plan for him and him understanding the plan uh, of where he fit in the, in the cog and somebody who's coaching him in in a way that there is is a way to rotate him in good communication probably with him to keep his confidence up, but that probably wasn't happening 
after Tata left. No, and I, you know, it's funny if you're going to have an interim coach that's and have a season that's in COVID, you know, that might be the time. But unfortunately, they had already loaned out Kunga, they had already loaned out Carlton. So you could, as a fan, you could fathom us losing, you know, maybe not playing any designated players, but at least you're getting to see those young guys and give them minutes and see what they can do. Yeah. Well, Dave, we didn't talk wine before the podcast or at the beginning of the podcast. How's your, how's your wine doing that you guys are crafting? Ah, well, so, you know, I was just going to say it's probably time for our motto that we're going to talk about it all. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Our wine, our wine is just about finishing up uh, secondary fermentation and uh, we're going to about to start barrel aging. We have American Oak to age in and, um, the wine is starting to taste a little bit better. Um, it's clearly not going to be total crap. Good. Well, let me know when it's ready for an ATL on fire vino sticker and we'll, we'll put one together. Um, awesome. But thanks for joining the podcast as always. Um, and hopefully in a week or so we can get back on here with a, a guest to bring maybe some goalkeeping perspective We'll go from there. Hang in there, everybody. Stay healthy. Indeed. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for joining. All right. Thanks for listening. If anybody actually made it this far on the podcast, I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter, at ATLOnFire. And tell your friends to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and really any sort of podcast uh, platform that you're on. So do listen again. Have a good one.